and welcome to the Special Needs Sibling Podcast, where we talk about what life is really like as a sibling to someone with special needs. I'm your host, Charlene, and today our guest is Emma. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Happy to be here. Awesome. Um, so, Emma, could you tell us a little bit about your family structure, kind of like you, any siblings you have, and then who has a disability? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for for having me. My name is Emma Schaus-Garten, and I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and my family of origin is all still here in the, the middle Tennessee area. So um, I am the older sister to two younger brothers who are twins. I'm 34 years old, and they'll be 27 years old this fall. Um, and so one of the twins, Evan, has autism and intellectual disability labels and then various other behavioral health, mental health um, diagnoses. And then um, his, so his twin brother is named Brendan and he um, doesn't have any intellectual or developmental disabilities. He lives in a teeny little rural town called Bon Aqua. Uh, and works um, at uh, uh, a nursing home, aging care facility. Um, Evan right now gets Medicaid waiver support. So he has daily mm. staff support um, that help him uh, kind of get through his daily routine. Um, you know, go going to music therapy and horseback riding therapy and um, just out and about to go hiking or go to parks or that sort of thing. Um, and he lives really, really close to my folks, just about 10 minutes away. And they're oh, wow. um, both my parents and Evan are um, in a suburb outside of, of Nashville um, called Franklin. And then I'm in, I'm in downtown Nashville. So we're all within like 30, 40 minutes of each other. Um, I'm married and actually have uh, our first kiddo on the way, which is oh, exciting. so yeah. exciting! Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. So uh, Evan's disability, um, kind of what what that looks like. He has some pretty significant support needs. Communication is really one of the biggest ones. It's really hard for us to. Um, know what Evan is thinking or feeling. He very rarely uses language spoken or written or any other form oh, to communicate. Okay. Um, so kind of the, the best way that we have found as a family and, and other supporters um, in Evan's life to get at what he wants or feels is by offering written choices. So sometimes that looks like, you know, offering different meals or you know places mm. to go or yeah or how he's feeling or whatever and you know even then it's just really our best guess who knows if we're actually offering the right choices or, or whatever oh, so that's, that's crazy that's yeah, hard <laughs> kind of hit or miss yeah um, but you know so a lot of a lot of the um our quality time together he and i and and you know, with, with our family is spent, you know, kind of just quiet time, you know, walking out yeah. uh, in, in nature or watching movies together and snuggling up on his couch. And um, yeah, so it's a, it's a different kind of sibling relationship for sure. But one that has um, 
just as many, if not more, um, benefits and and pros as it has, you know, challenges yeah. or problems. Do, did he ever use PEX at any point in time? Or does he currently use it at all? Yeah, so, you know, the, the way that I have kind of explained it, it's like, He's 27 and he's been in speech therapy since he was diagnosed with autism. And <laughs> we've tried, you know, just about every system or, you know, communication device, alternative communication device. It seems like a lot of them, he understands when he's working with a speech therapist, like he can do what they're asking him to do. Okay. But he never independently uses it like on his own to communicate so oh interesting um, yeah That's a... it, it almost okay. kind of feels like he's he sees that as you know an activity or homework or something that he's yeah. doing with somebody else but but you know he never ever initiates it never goes and gets his ipad or or you know writes stuff down on his own um and and even when we're even when we're using those programs it it feels a little hit or miss as to whether or not he's just picking something to get us <laughs> to leave him right. alone or if it's yeah. a reflection of, you know, his real feelings. His actual um, desires, yeah. Or desires, oh, that's so. so interesting. I don't think I ever thought about that. Like, because Angela has gone, we, we've done speech therapy. She used to use PECs. Like, we've mm -hmm. done, I probably not as a, much a variety of things as Evan has, but it it's interesting that the idea that she'll kind of like say certain things because she wants to versus when, you know, it's quote unquote forced upon. I use that very lightly, but there there's no kind of other way to phrase that. But it's yeah, I kind of think about certain instances because we used to have this thing where she would have to say certain sentences to do things. But it's very much like she would just say them because she knew that the end result of that action was then the thing that she wanted. It, she just needed to say it to get there. But now it's kind of just she doesn't she knows she doesn't need to say it to get that, mm -hmm. which is kind of an interesting development, I think, in how they choose to communicate, because it's like when she wants to talk, she could she only can use limited vocabulary. But it's when that but she's wanting to talk versus the other times mm -hmm. where she's not wanting to talk, but. And Sari would talk more, but only because she's kind of having to for yeah. no other reason than we just want her to say something. Absolutely. For, actually, it's interesting that, that this has come up because I just had a phone call with my mom today where she has a new idea about a communication like, you know, a therapeutic approach or, you know, a philosophy, a, a new technique that she thinks, you know, may be kind of new and out there, but she wanted my opinion on like, well, is it worth trying? And, you know, I, I, I felt, I felt kind of torn, you know, uh, one, one part of me says it's always worth trying something that, that yeah. could, you know, possibly result in us getting a better picture into what Evan wants or or needs or yeah. how he's feeling um at the same time though you know i think at some point we we as family members and supporters may need to just 
you know, kind of accepts that like he may have some some real limitations in this area of life mm. and it's on us to, you know, continue trying to to think creatively about how we can we can best, you know, use our powers of observation or <laughs> or problem solving or creative thinking um to meet him where he is rather than you know always just expecting this young man who's you know wanting to live a good happy fun life to spend hours and hours in you know speech therapy with yeah um, <laughs> you know so I th- there's a balance there for sure yeah i think the balance which is one of the things that we had talked about like before we're recording and I think that's one of the things that you did want to talk about which is kind of like this balancing act of like sibling pairing and then kind of like this in between but it's like you're still you're yeah there, there's so much there's so many things and then oh and the other the third thing is the then there's ourselves which that doesn't even come into the picture I think until probably much late not much later and what than what you would think mm-hmm. Like, I think, I don't think I realized how much that I did not put myself as part of the balancing act until after I started going to therapy, which would have been in my, like, I started going in my late 20s. Mm-hmm. And so it's, yeah, it's kind of like, you just thought it was sibling versus parent and yourself, <laughs> but it's really sibling parent versus and you in yourself mm-hmm. and kind of all these other things things yeah absolutely yeah that was um I think as as I shared in our previous conversation I mean I I feel like I feel like my childhood and teen years were very much about you know kind of trying to be the best sister I could be but also feeling like a like a third parent um in a lot of ways um I mean both my my mom and my dad are active in um in supporting Evan in in different ways, but it kind of felt like there was this not not even pressure, but just like I I felt like I should be um, you know helping them problem solve about like right. what does Evan need mm-hmm. and what's going to help him, um, and I was very anxious about the idea of if something were to happen to my parents, if I would need to step in to to you know, a parental role for both of my brothers. I think part of that is probably my personality. And part of it is that I was, you know, six, seven years older and they both had, you know, some pretty significant needs when they were that age. And um, yeah, I feel like I ended up go. I mean, I ended up going to college uh, right down the road and, you know, (laughs) married um, somebody who got along really well with Evan and, you know, made all of these big life decisions um, totally informed by, um, not just my brother, but, but what I felt like was my responsibility. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it was not really until therapy until I, (laughs) you know, kind of had so much anxiety though. It was not, um, it was not a sustainable way to to be living as a 20, 23, 24, 25 year old and, and started really peeling back the layers of, who am I besides just a sister and, you know, kind of on mom and dad's team (laughs) to to support Evan and like, what do I want for my own life and my downtime? Um, Because I felt like even when I was, you know, in in college and starting my career as a young professional and 
and you know, doing things on my own. I was it's not like I was doing daily caregiving or anything, but it right. felt like life just felt like a, a lot heavier than it seemed to for my peers. And I felt like I was always, you know, thinking 10 steps ahead and, you know, mm -hmm. saving, like thinking about saving money for when I would inevitably need to, you know, financially contribute to Evan's needs. And, you know, do I need to be saving for a home that has an, a bedroom where Evan could live? And, you know, um, all of just kind of that was always part of my mental picture of, of future caregiving responsibilities and, you know, what I needed to be doing currently to support my family. Evan's later teen years were really turbulent and rough. A lot of um, major behavioral uh, aggression and self-injury episodes that were, you know, we were all just kind of at a loss as to, to what the right answer was to help him um, kind of de-escalate and, and be happier and calmer. Um, all that to say, I found therapy so helpful in for the first time really thinking about what do I want my role in Evan's life to be? Not, mm. not just um, what are my parents expecting of me? What are other people who praise me for being such a good sister? What are they? <laughs> do or you know what do I feel like I need to step in and do but like in my ideal world what would um a, a good sister role look like and feel like and so I feel like my late 20s and and up until today has been kind of trying to to figure that out and I don't know that I've come to any answers but it definitely um you know a, a better balance of yeah. personal time of of when I'm not with my family or, or not with Evan letting go of, you know, frustrations that I may have about mm -hmm. his services and how they're not, you know, working quite as well as I wish that they were or whatever. And, you know, figuring out what's, what's mine to worry about and what's not. <laughs> yeah. Especially cause you live so close. Cause like for me, cause I'm like an, I'm like 11 and a half hour drive from where Angela lives and so mm -hmm. like I I obviously can't be involved in like day-to-day -day stuff not that I need to be yeah. but it, it's yeah. this weird it was this weird feeling for so long probably until she like had her housing situation like solidified where I was like you know I I can't move Right, like, and that, and that was no one had said don't move, right? And no one, no one was obligating me to to do that. But inside, I'm like, oh no, like I, I should, right? Like if I'm a good sister or if I'm a good pseudo parent or whatever, like then I need to be semi near around. But what, yeah, once her housing situ situation got solidified, I was like, oh, like it, I could literally feel feel this like relief of like, oh, like. I am not being held responsible for this. Yeah, I have and options. It, yeah. And it's, you know, I, and I can go travel the world or I can go move wherever. And it, it wasn't a, yeah, there was no like, you know, what is that? Like the shackles or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, like ball and chain or whatever. Cause it's, yeah, which is such a, like, it's so crazy. The amount of kind of, expectation obligation and duty that we put on ourselves as siblings mm -hmm. we're really like 
I feel like most people that I have talked to, their parents have not said that to them out loud, right? Yeah. Most people I've talked to is like, yeah, it's fine, like, go do whatever, but just on the inside, it just does not feel In Yeah, like I think that. a lot of, a lot of the, I think a lot of the pressure to be really hyper responsible as a, as a family <laughs> member, as a sibling, for a lot of us can be an internal motivated, motivated thing of, mm-hmm. it feels like what we should do. I almost sometimes think of it at, or thought of it as like a feedback loop though like the thing that got me the most praise and attention from adults from the time I was really little was being a good sister to Evan you know oh, when me I was too. being, being yep. the, t- the typical role model pure role model in his you know inclusive preschool classes or speech therapy mm. classes or you know running around it church after him when he would flee the worship service and you know all sorts of stuff um it was it was nice to hear from all of these adults uh praising me that that um sacrificing my own needs and paying attention to evan was was praiseworthy and so I think that made me want to do it more and then it's kind of how I began to see the role of older Mm -hmm. sister that's what I Mm -hmm. should do and um yeah I think I just didn't really think that there was another way of being um (laughs) a sister until well into my adulthood of like you know I (laughs) I could let some of this go. I don't, I don't have to go see him every week. I don't have to be yeah. on every, every email chain about his services right. and supports, or I don't have to, I can have boundaries with my parents when it comes to, you know, being told about every single, you know, hard thing that's happening in his day. Right. I can't really fix it. Um, so it was just, you know, adding. Nor to- is it your, responsibility to do that at all like you don't even need to know (laughs) yeah so yeah yeah there's yeah there's just so many there's so much nuance to it and it's something that I've I don't know like like I'm kind of on this I mean it's, it's, it's an ever ever flowing thing and I think it's kind of like you go through different like phases of kind of like where you're at with your sibling in general and like with your parents. And I think like for me, I went through a very long extended phase of kind of like the being the good daughter and the good sister and the good kid. And it's like I I did that for like kind of so long that I'm now in this like, you know, just leave me alone. Like I don't. <laughs> I don't want to help you. I don't want to hang out with you. I don't want to talk to you, right? And it's kind of this, like, because it's just, there's so much energy. And I mean, like, it's not even the same type of energy that you would use, like, for a pet or for your other typical siblings that are younger, right? Because you had another brother, and I'm sure, like, the energy that you use just hanging out with him as an older sister is very much different than with Evan, right? Like, yeah, and it's... Like it's exhausting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah, it's interesting at least 
for for me and and given who Evan is and and Evan's needs, I don't know if this will always be true, but when I'm when I'm with Evan and it is just us two, it's yeah. a it's like a respite for my soul. Like Evan doesn't expect anything of me. He he's happy just oh, being quiet. Interesting. Like like being quiet with me and going on a walk or watching TV. It's kind yeah. of all the other stuff <laughs> that is so exhausting of like, you know, if that that his that the staff who work with him like clearly aren't reading the support mm-hmm. plans. So they will trigger his behaviors and set him off and it's a huge crisis. Or, you know, my mm-hmm. parents are super hyper worried about X, Y, and Z, and they need to process all of their feelings or, mm-hmm. you know, they want my opinion about uh, things or, um, you know, we find out that his staff is quitting. And so who knows if the person coming in to replace them will be um, somebody who really gets along well with Evan, or if if it'll be somebody who you know treats him like a child, even though he's a 27 year old man, uh, just because <laughs> yeah. he can't speak, and you know, so it's almost like being physically present with Evan when I make the time to do that is always really restorative and and nice for mm-hmm. me. But there's so much other stuff that comes with supporting someone with significant disabilities and then also all the family dynamics on the periphery <laughs> that I find really exhausting sometimes and it, and it does have to be now something that it's like all right the it, only when I have the emotional energy and capacity <laughs> to do it and I'm allowed to say you know what no I, I can't do a family dinner this week or you know come to Evan's support planning meeting this time I'm gonna have to sit it out yeah and and it's it's such like a it's it's such an interesting thing where like it's so hard to go from oh like I would you know like wanting to be there a hundred percent of the time like when we're growing up as kids to realizing that as adults like we can't and nor should we have the capacity to do that to live our own lives yeah right because it's like you like there's so many times i'm like oh that'd be cool for me to be involved but it's like but that doesn't help me be a better version of charlene mm-hmm. right like it's just yeah. and like that's and that's one of the other interesting things like as a as a kid, like, that's such a hard thing. Well, okay, I mean, even as an adult, that's a hard thing to realize itself without, you know, kind of having outside perspective, whether that be a therapist or someone very close to you, whoever that may be. But, it's like, as a kid, that's also... You don't even know that's happening because it's just in real time and it's a lot of overwhelming things, but there, there's this other concept of, like, you pick and choose your battles with everybody like with your friends with your parents with your siblings with yourself and it's like i like i feel like for me like internally that was very exhausting like would i rather spend the energy fighting with my parents or spend the energy just doing what they said to just kind of mitigate a situation mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think part of the equation for me these days and figuring out you know <laughs> Picking your battles or, or finding 
what I want to prioritize when it comes to, to Evan and family is recognizing that as my parents get older, I will, I was going to say, I will have to, I guess that's worth questioning, right? I don't have to, but right. <laughs> I will likely step into a larger support and caregiving mm. role um, for Evan, you know, in terms of court coordinating, you know, yeah, a lot of his services where <laughs> none of the balls are dropped uh, when yeah. it comes to all of the many professionals in his life that that yeah. um, you know touch his life or whatever. But um, all that to say, like I, I've always been hyper aware of like ten years, fifteen years, mm. twenty years down the road, like all of that falls to me and so right now I want to give myself a lot of leeway and freedom um, mm. to do my own thing and and to really enjoy this season of life where I don't have to carry that load as much um, yeah which, you know is not the case for all siblings. A lot of siblings never have that break right they're always yeah. you know whether that's because their parents aren't capable of managing things or um, their parents have their own like major mental health or health needs. Um, mm -hmm. The typical sibling um, never gets their, their own life, but um, for those of us who, who do um, before we kind of have to step into a, a, you know, bigger support role when our parents are gone, um, I think we owe it to ourselves to, to make the most of, you know, this this time when we have more freedom to pick and choose those battles yeah. or or those priorities yeah and I, and I think that's a great perspective too just because it's so it's so easy to future think all the time versus just realizing like you know like my sister right now is like in her housing my parents are not that old so it's mm -hmm. kind of like i have some time you have some and time it, Absolutely. yeah and it's just this that you just don't realize it. So mm -hmm. thank you for like saying that out loud. Cause it just, mm -hmm. I don't even realize it. Cause it's kind of these, cause you kind of just, you see this like timeline of your life kind mm -hmm. of all the time. And it's like, oh, you know, she's this old, these services are happening. Oh, then she's going to turn this old, then these are going to happen. Oh, then my parents are going to turn Right. Like, and it's just kind of, it's this kind of like doom cloud that just kind of <laughs> gives you your, I'm going to count out how many years you have left. And then it's not, and it's not like we're choosing to do that. It's just kind of in the territory and it's like, yeah. but, but yeah, but it's, it's, it's so important for us to just realize like we can enjoy life. Like I can go ride a roller coaster and it's fine. Mm -hmm. I can like That's go really eat this food and like, you know, like not, it's, it's fine. Like I don't have to always kind of, I don't always have to call. Right. Mm -hmm. But I, I can call. And I think that's one of the things that I've been kind of more recently been trying to navigate or just kind of like reflect on is kind of what are things that I want to do with my sister that can just be me and my sister and not having to be like all four of us because for so long it was always just the four of us like whether whether it just what was related to her or not right like e even if it was only about her it would still involve all four of us and now I'm like you know like that's like 
like I can have my own life and she can have her own life and my parents can have their own lives, but that also can mean that statistically the four of you can interact with each other in a, in a multitude of ways, which is also important because that, and that's something that I struggled with like growing up was like, it was very much like me and my dad on one side of the equation and my mom and sister on the other side. And it was very much just split down the middle like that pretty much all the time, just cause that's, that's how it worked out for them. So that's just what they did. And it's, yeah. but as you get older, right. It's kind of like, well, I need both of them. And my sister also needs both of them, right. It can't be yeah. only just separated like that for forever. Yeah. I don't know if this makes sense, but, um, so I run a, um, I mean, you, this is how you found me, uh, but for right. your podcast <laughs> listeners, um, yeah. I yeah. am involved with the national sibling leadership network. And so, um, many States, about 26 States have state chapters of the sibling leadership network. And I run Tennessee's state chapter, which is called tabs, Tennessee, adult brothers and sisters. Um, but something that had kind of come come up a few times in tabs um, virtual chats where we had a speaker, you know, who would, who would be talking about navigating challenging family dynamics or, you know, healthy communications and setting boundaries within families or whatever, those, those kinds of topics. It's like family stuff is hard for almost everybody, right? Disability or no, like <laughs> yes. navigating the yeah. transition of from a parent child relationship to like an adult <laughs> child, mm. like, uh, you know, as, as you get older, redefining your relationships with your parents and yeah. how those dynamics change and, and, um, same with your siblings going from, um, interacting as kids to, to then your adult peers, like all of that stuff is hard for everybody. But like when there's a significant disability in the picture, it just adds an extra layer of complication um, yeah. to it. So that's, I don't know, that was just on my mind as, as you were saying that, uh, like, I definitely relate to time alone for me with Evan is much less stressful than time together as a whole family, yeah. because then it feels like I'm like the referee for like, yeah. Oh, well, okay. So mom's clearly, uh, you know, her temper is short because she's hungry. So now she's snapping <laughs> and, yeah. like, I can see, and dad snapped back and I can see Evan starting to get irritable. So I have to like diffuse the stress. Yeah. And, and, and like, it's so easy for me to, fall back into those sorts of roles of like mm -hmm. um being the family like peacekeeper and yeah. <laughs> like the one to, to try and check on everybody's like emotional um well-being yeah. and, and mood and like that means I'm never like really fully present um then I think and so I found it at least for right now to be a lot easier to kind of focus on on nurturing individual relationships um, yes. with and, and with my mom and with my dad and with other brother because um, big family gatherings still feel pretty complicated um oh i agree yeah i did those those are some of my least favorite it's, and it's it, and it's not that i don't care about everyone it's just it may no. it just it's 
it's hard like and, and it's very much too much right sure yeah. oh yeah there we go yeah that's a very good... so much love about it and it's like very stressful when it doesn't go well yeah because you're kind of bracing for the worst and then like you might get lucky and the worst won't happen but like once you see your sibling with a disability once they start to like disengage you're like oh no like no one uh -oh, else is noticing it and you just kind of go into this panic mode but you're trying to like maintain what's happening yeah. but keep them at ease but then like dealing mm -hmm. with your parents trying to salt like it's just there's just there's yeah. so much to a family gathering that like i just there's too much stuff like i don't 100%. it's not yeah it's not my favorite instance of time ever <laughs> yeah well th th those are hard yeah how do you feel about like so, because you mentioned that your mom had talked to you just like recently about you know the new communication stuff. So, how do you feel like about being involved now that you kind of have like your space and kind of have like a better idea of like how much you want to be involved? Like, how how is that now for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I think over the past few years, I have just learned to to that I have to be more vocal with my parents of about like, well, yeah. So like right now, you know, I'm feeling um, curious about how things are, are going with Evan. And so if you'd like to, you know, like I'll check in um, more often with them, like, Hey, how was your visit with Evan today? Or, mm. um, or did we ever hear back from, you know, the provider agency about this problem that you mentioned? And, and kind of initiating things. And then when life is really stressful, um, I mean, for example, in 2020, my husband was in a really serious car accident. He's okay now. Uh, I mean, he's pretty much recovered now, but like mm -hmm. at that point uh, for like a year, I was like, I don't have it in me to like come to any of these, you know, meetings about Evan's services and all of the problems mm -hmm. that are going on. Like mm -hmm. if you, if you think of a question that like, I am better suited to answer than anybody else. <laughs> Give me a call. Otherwise, I'm going to have to step out. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and so um, that's worked well. I mean, again, I feel lucky because we, you know, through through sibling networks, we certainly meet siblings whose parents are not respectful of those boundaries, right? And they, mm -hmm. they will, um, yeah. they, you know, get get a lot put on their plate whether or not they express that they're overwhelmed but mm. um for, for me that's yeah. been um a, a positive thing once I felt empowered to say like I don't have the time or emotional capacity to yeah. to help with Evan's stuff right now um can you take me <laughs> your call list temporarily yeah. or or you know off off of the e email thread with the behavior therapist about how a b and c problems are happening um yeah. i just it's making me stressed um they're they're super respectful of that and then i'll step back in when i when i feel yeah. like i i do have some energy so yeah that's i'm, I'm glad that i'm well, I'll say first, I'm glad that you vocalize your boundaries to start with. And then I'm also glad that your parents respect your boundaries. So, like Those two things are both hard on their own. And then you add the, oh, we're just typical kids. You add that to the equation. And there, there, there are so many things with that. Because 
Yeah, I think I more recently kind of increased my feelings vocabulary on like, I feel this emotion and it's due to whatever, right? And there's just stuff that I'm processing um, where there's just feelings that I kind of like residually have, even though I'm like not with Angela right now, that like I just have kind of these residual things from when we were growing up that kind of just never went away because I just never, one, never knew they were there. And then two, just never kind of acknowledged that, right, that I did, that I felt that way. Because it's, yeah. I've, like, I think for, I don't know about for you, but for me, like, it was this idea that, oh, you know, you're the good sister, you're a good kid, you get good grades, you do all these good things, you help mom and dad. Like, it, you know, the list goes on and on. But it's this thing where, like, then I felt that I could not be unhappy in any form i felt like i couldn't get mad i feel like i couldn't be sad i could i feel like i could i feel like i couldn't cry my husband used to joke with me when we were dating that like i had no heart right because because for movies he loves movies and like he'll cry and, and it's fine but it's so it was just this very long time of like i would only cry when i was like really upset but it, you know that threshold is pretty high and yeah. so it's this thing where i didn't even yeah i've just i've suppressed whatever you know, was not happy down that I just, it's just taking a long time to kind of navigate through it. And even now, right, there's still things where like, well, like that hurt my feelings, but it's from like 20 years ago and I'm still hurt about it because I never, I never got to tell my parents, hey, like that hurt my feelings, right? Because I just was like, oh, I must be wrong because you're my parents and Angela's okay or not okay, right? It's just you kind of deprioritize everything and, and your feelings. That I don't know. That's how I felt. I don't know if you had any of those experiences. Yeah, no, that, that resonates a lot. I mean, everything you said about, you know, wanting wanting to be a good daughter, wanting to be a good sister, the the well-behaved one, the the mm-hmm. one with the good grades and model student, like my, it, feel, it feels like I spent my entire childhood and, and teen years, like just trying to like, tread carefully and not yeah. stress anybody out and that often meant s- suppressing my own emotions or at least not not asking for help dealing with them on my own in my room you know after mm. everybody had gone to bed like yeah. that was the only time I could cry or whatever uh, but but never you know expressing any any sort of you know anger or or sadness or anything because it felt like no one had the capacity to help me everybody was mm-hmm. everybody was stressed yep. <laughs> yeah. and so I I felt like I just kind of had had to be self-reliant um or you know to a certain extent I think I I was lucky in that I had some a couple of close girlfriends who I I leaned on um but like yeah, family was not necessarily a space where I was going to get my full emotional needs met. Yes, um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree with that. But, um, yeah, and the and the notion of like your threshold for tolerating, mm-hmm. um, like frustration or or anger or anxiety or whatever being really high resonates with me. Like I I think I first sought therapy after I reached that threshold of Mm. um being of of just like 
I am so anxious. I can't handle it anymore. And I was that anxious because Mm -hmm. I was trying to be a perfectionist who was doing everything anyone asked of me, you know, never saying no to all of the favors or absolutely I can take on this work project. And, you know, I want to be the 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 best most present friend so of course I'll come talk you through your breakup yeah. even though I'm yeah. like so exhausted yeah um, <laughs> you know that that mindset of like yeah. needing to be helpful needing to be an overachiever like I was able to like pull that off for a good 23 years and then yep. I lost my mind <laughs> yep 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 I, so, I'm right there yeah. with you <laughs> I was just like I'm so nervous all of the time. And like the, I mean, therapy was life-changing. As soon as I started to question, like when, you know, my therapist was like, well, do you, who says you have to do these things or or what, what would happen? Just think through it. What would happen if you said no, or, or you didn't do well on this project? Do you think it would be okay. <laughs> it's just yeah. like you start pulling those threads and, and unraveling things. It's like, oh, right. I am allowed to be human and make yeah. mistakes and say no to things I don't want to do. And, yeah. and you're allowed uh, to be upset at people. Taking a nervous breakdown at like age 23, 24. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, better late than never. Yeah. No, yeah. No, th- therapy is so helpful. And I mean, like, I, I talk about a lot on the podcast. Probably every episode I talk about seeing my therapist, which, like, mm-hmm. but I'm all for it because there's, there's just so many, like, like kind of what we were talking about earlier, right? Like, navigating life is already hard for the average person who just has mm-hmm. a typical family and parents and that's in a healthy household, yeah. right? Like, they, it's still hard, but it's just, there's just so many other complications when you have like your sibling with a disability and your parents are trying to figure out right and it's like and and it's it and i think it's going to be interesting kind of as like the new newest set generation however you want to call it of typical kids who are now kind of like you know in their grade school middle school ages kind of get older cuz it's so different for them now just like with with the resources available for them as well as the technology for their parents with the with their sibling who is disabled in whatever form right mm-hmm. versus for us it's kind of like not that there was nothing but there was just less and it was different cuz you know whatever my parents could find was just in books that happened to be published right the internet wasn't as mm-hmm. it's nowhere what it what is now right and even then it's kind of like there were community groups, but it's only like if you could go, right? There's not kind of this online right. forum where you can kind of like text people and get back and forth, where you kind of have to sh- you have to show up and hope Absolutely. that your kid didn't have a breakdown in the middle of like whatever session was happening, or or have your other typical kids babysit while right. you go to the therapy. Yeah, exactly, right. And and if your kids aren't old enough, well, you have to find some, right there. It's kind of like this different yeah. dynamic of kind of how parents can support their kids and how we get supported so it will, it will be kind of interesting but i'm definitely yeah. a advocate of therapy and it for and whatever form that may be for people just because it's so mm-hmm. important to i mean i think the biggest the biggest thing for me when i first started going to therapy was like your like your feelings are normal like other people mm-hmm. have those feelings like other people are also mad at their parents other people are upset <laughs> i was like 
oh like i i just genuinely didn't know because i really thought like you know i i i loved my parents growing up like they did no i was uh, like they did nothing wrong blah 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 like i'm i must have done something to deserve whatever punishment right and it's like that's not true <laughs> right like well, you're, they've been you're only, like your only comparison is not the norm right Angela's yeah. way of being in the world is totally different so like you really don't have a another peer in the family exactly to compare those experiences to I felt like my I mean my so Evan's twin Brendan and I mm-hmm. in some ways we in some ways we have a a a brother sister relationship but in other ways it really does still feel like i'm trying to unlearn being his parent too and like letting oh, go okay yeah. um you know, letting go <laughs> yeah uh, learning healthy boundaries there too and, mm-hmm. and not worrying about him way more than you know an average 34 year old sister needs to worry about her right <laughs> right right yeah because there's just an extra level of care that you have that you probably yeah. would not have had you know like x y and z but it's yeah so yeah. uh so i, I kind of feel like i didn't didn't have an exact pure match uh yeah, either, either. In terms yeah of like <laughs> It's not like we talked, you know, all the time growing up about like mom and dad are so annoying or like, you know, yeah. isn't it wild that they did this or whatever. It was just like, uh, we're all doing the best we can. And I assume this is normal. Yeah. <laughs> and you, get, you get to like college and adulthood and it's like, oh, maybe not all of that was normal. But, but like you said, and like your therapist said, like everybody is like untangling family yeah. dynamics and, and and like figuring out like you know how to how to move into the next season of life with the kind of family relationships they want and so yeah yeah I think I think peer support and and mental health support and therapy being talked about so much more now than than it ever was when we were growing up is such a positive thing and and i yeah. am hopeful that the the next generation of young sibs who have <laughs> um brothers and sisters with disabilities um really benefit from that yeah yeah me too um is there any other topic that you would like to explore or talk about um I'll just I'll just end with encouraging your listeners to check out the Sibling Leadership Network if they haven't. Um, like I said, about half of the states have a state chapter um, yeah. of the SLN. You can go to siblingleadership.org to find out if your state has a chapter. If they do, um, there's information there on how to get involved. I think it's really cool that it's a really diverse um Kind of network in that some uh, state chapters are pretty informal, like social groups, and they get together for, yeah. you know, uh, happy hours or virtual meetings. And some are really well established, like community nonprofits with boards of directors and conferences or workshops yeah. and um, trainings, or they do camps for younger kids. And so it really just depends. Um, but they're all, all the chapters that are active are always looking for more people to get involved. Um, it can be hard to track down us sibs. Um, you know, it's a, it's a lot trickier to find us than it is to find people with disabilities 
or parents of yes. people with disabilities. So, yes, I um, I 100% agree with just that. I mean, almost everything you're saying, but particularly that part of the statement. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so we got to stick together. Um, if your state doesn't have a chapter, I am the person you can come talk to. I am the SLN's um, co-chair of the chapter development committee. And so we in addition to, you know, hosting quarterly calls to support the existing state chapters mm. um, to talk about, you know, everything from uh, communications to fundraising to conference planning or, you know, those sorts of things. We also um, will often chat with people from states who don't have an SLN oh, chapter about what it looks like to, to kind of um, take some baby steps to to get those groups off the ground. And it's, I mean, super, super low. I don't want to make it sound like it's, you know, no work at all, but to have a state chapter of the SLN, you just need three siblings of people with disabilities who are, um, you know, willing to commit to being involved in planning some kind of activity that can just be like a virtual get together, or it could be, you know, something more structured. Um, mm. And they're willing to commit for at least six months. So, you know, oh, okay. it's, uh, we're, we're happy to brainstorm with you about where to find other siblings and, you know, what, what events or support opportunities you might want to think about. So um, all that to say, that's, that's the last thing I'll, I'll plug. But if you, um, if you're a sibling of somebody with a disability and aren't connected to the SLN already, I hope yeah. you'll uh, check it out. Yeah. And and having like sibling community is so helpful and it's so important and that and that's such it's such like an invaluable resource just to connect with even one other person who has a, who has is a sibling even if they live in another state or whatever mm -hmm. it is like it's it's so yeah it's so invaluable just cuz you can't like i i can't even describe i'm doing a terrible job at the moment trying to like find words to, to explain cuz it's just it helps so much with just things that you're going through or like feelings that you have that you didn't know that you had and kind of just like, whether it's like reading people's stories, listening to them or just whatever it is. And it's, I, I yeah, I'm glad because in Oregon, they, they just started one. So just started. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's now, as of the last time we met, it was like four or five of us, something like that. So it's exciting because you can just start small, but that's even that, like, it's such a big thing. Like, yeah. it's so important yeah absolutely and and podcasts like yours are are a huge way that um you know we're nor normalizing uh yes. the civ experience and and connecting folks so thanks for doing what you're doing yeah thank you and thank you for being on the podcast um yeah cool Thanks for listening to this episode of the Special Needs Sibling Podcast. If you're new here, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help more siblings and friends find us. You can also support the podcast by donating on Ko-fi. That's K-O-F-I. You can check out the link in the description for more info. If you're a special needs sibling, I hope you feel encouraged and validated in your journey. If you're not a sibling but know someone who is, I hope you learned a little bit more about what their life is like. That's all for now, and until next time, this is the Special Needs Sibling Podcast. <laughs>